Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Jeff, and I'm joined as usual by my good friends Richard Hello. and Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael, they like to fight. And this week, they're fighting about the Mount Rushmore of duo bands. Michael, why did you choose it? Uh, one of the choices on my list didn't actually make my list. Excuse Ultimately. me, that's really confusing. This I is know. a Dr. Seuss. I was, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I was listening to an artist, a band called The Mates of State. And um, it's just a duo. It's a, a husband and wife duo. And they play like, one plays the drums and the other plays a keyboard. Mm-hmm. And um, I've seen them once or twice. And they're really good and I like them a lot. Kind of a mid-2000s yeah. kind of indie rock. Um, really fun, really energetic. And um, I was like, oh, you know, this is, they're fun. And there's only two of them. And they only need two sort of instruments to perform their music. And I thought that was interesting. It's just, one, it's a live concept. Anytime you see just two people on stage, I think that's really interesting and kind of powerful. And then it started, I started thinking like, oh, there are people that are brothers and sisters that do this. There are people that are married that do this. There are people that used to be married that do this. There are people that kind of do this and record but then have like backup people in their band and it's not quite their band. It's still just them. It's just like the two people. There's like two members that are the full-time members. Yeah. And then I started thinking about as one always does of like the Beatles and what would the Beatles be if it was just like Lennon and McCarthy, if they had like gone off and did like a Simon and Garfunkel thing just on their own. What if those two guys were just the band without Ringo and George? And I thought, Oh, this is just, there are so many, musical acts that are two people. And I'm interested kind of in just the way that two people maintain that relationship, whatever it is, Uh brother, sister, husband, wife, brother, brother, friends, when it's just two people, I think within a band family, it's easier to take sides for someone to become the star and to go off and do their own thing. But Mm -hmm. when it's two people like that's it, there's two people and either you work it out, you reconcile, you make music together or you don't. And I think that's pretty interesting when it comes to musicianship, especially when you talk about like a Simon and Garfunkel who like were big in their day and then they split up and went and did their own things. Right. And one was successful and the other one was Paul Simon. Uh, um, uh, okay. Uh, Michael chose it and it's a compelling topic. Richard, what can you do with it? Well, first off, um, I'm just going to say all four of my choices are band bands. I did not pick any Simon and Garfunkel or oh, yeah, me neither. Everly Brothers or anything yeah, I like did that. The, okay. I, I did the same. Okay, good. Uh, so my first choice, I think, is the most obvious choice here. It's the White Stripes. Me too. Yeah, okay. that's also my list. this fundamental tweaking of the dynamic of kind of a male-female duo, in a sense. Because if you remember for a long time, they wouldn't cop to what their actual relationship was. Yeah, so and much, they claim they were brother and sister. So much of the intrigue of the White Stripes was, wait, are they brothers? Do they have this weird sexual energy together? Are they brothers and sisters? Do they have this weird sexual energy together? Oh, wait, they're married? Oh, wait, they, they used, used to, be, to married? be married? Yeah, which is one of the fascinating things about them. You know, it's... There are very few bands where 
you know, it's a couple and then they've broken up and they continue to be mm-hmm. a band. I can think of X is maybe the only other one I can think of mm. off the, just off the top of my yeah, head. Yeah, where yeah. That, well, I guess probably Fleetwood Mac, I suppose. But anyway, it's this just really strange dynamic within the band. And it's, it's also an example of a, a two-person group where one person is perceived to be carrying the, the band. You know, you've got Jack White who's singing, writing all the songs, playing guitar. Then you've got Meg White who is drumming? Yeah. Question well, it's, mark? It's so funny because in so many interviews, you know, Jack White would describe Meg as like the heart of the band. The band wouldn't exist without her except that he's now gone on to do the raconteurs and the dead weather and da 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 solo and stuff. Like, I, you know, no offense to Meg White, but like, what has she gone on to do? I literally don't know. I haven't looked it up. It doesn't, it's not the first thing that comes to my mind. So when you bring that up, it feels like it's disingenuous the same way that it was disingenuous for it, them to claim these false relationships mm-hmm. within the band just to sell something. Yeah, I know this isn't, well, I don't, Outside of just the duo bands as a discussion point, uh, I felt like he maybe was trying to pro- give her as much credit as she deserved and also protect them from whatever the relationship was from being sensationalized in a weird uh, way. That that could be true, too. So I don't know if, like, Jack... I don't know his personality, but it seems like he was actually pretty cool about all that, like, not wanting to... No, th- and, fade and that, away, that, that yeah. is disingenuous of me to say that's true. That is to say that she had no role in the band. It, it just seems like his role was so so much over yeah. hers. Yeah, so it was an unequal and then he would, distribution. He would trying, yeah, he would be trying to keep pulling pulling himself back, I guess. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the way I'm You couldn't you couldn't you could take one of those instruments out of the mix and still sell that album. And that wasn't the guitar. It was the drums. You right. could have taken the drums. And it's, oh. and, and it's interesting. Well, I, I'll say this. I, by far, like what Jack White did in the White Stripes more so than any of his other groups or his oh, solo stuff. I, I agree. So there is something about the dynamic between the two of them, which I think brought out the best in him. Hmm. So from that standpoint, even if she's not a technically great drummer or anything like that, there was something about the dynamic between the two of them that worked in a really special way and that made him, I think, a better performer than he was. He has been in, in other stuff. I, I don't know if either of you know or are fans of a guy named Jonathan Richman. Who sure, the yeah, Modern Lovers. Modern Lovers guy. But he tours with a drummer who has one snare drum, and that's about it. I think he might have a hi-hat. He doesn't have a full kit. And... Jonathan Richmond is pretty much the show, but this guy keeps a beat and and but Jonathan Richmond acts like this guy has a full rush style drum kit <laughs> and he'll just do stuff like, Now just you, Tommy. And then Tommy's just playing a snare the same way he was playing, or take me to the bridge, Tommy. And Tommy just is still playing the same <laughs> way. <laughs> so I think Meg probably lent other another drummer might have overplayed. Another drummer might not have just been spare and hung back while he does these guitar pirate. She's a less flashy Ringo. Yeah, if that's <laughs> less showy Ringo. Okay, we got out the White Stripes. Then uh, that would be both of our first choices. Both of your first choices. Would it be Michael then? My second choice is the White Stripes led me to a band that I really like. Um, that isn't super well known called the Fiery Furnaces. Oh, and it's uh, Matthew and Eleanor um, 
uh, Friedberger, who are brother and sister, who are actual brothers and oh, sister. Okay, good. We've tested for this. We need. We have. We have court records <laughs> to prove this. They're a like. Early 2000s, they kind of stopped making music around 2009, uh-huh. and they kind of went and started doing their own projects and did the thing that bands usually do is they reunite to do things and come back together. Yeah. Uh, but they're a very interesting kind of indie, psychedelic, very strange rock band. Like, she has just this tremendously interesting voice, and it can get to times where it's kind of broken. He's like, but he's, he was the main, like, songwriter. Like, he would write the songs and the lyrics, and she was, like, the primary um, vocalist. And I always think that is such an interesting aspect of duos. When one person is the primary music writer, and the other person is, by far, like, the person that's out in front. Like, they'd be performing it together. Mm -hmm. But she is, like, facing it. Don't dance it down, boys. Don't dance it down. Yeah, like later on in like later album covers, like sh- it was just her face on the cover of like Fiery Furnaces. Mm-hmm. And I think that is such an interesting duo. Yeah. Uh, that concept of like this person's in theory writing most of the music for the, you know, for the most part. I'm sure that there is collaboration as there always is, but then the other person is the yeah, person out front and the other person steps back. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna throw in my second one right now because I think it's the pretty much a very similar okay. vibe. It's the Eurythmics. Okay. Oh, okay, yeah. Where it was Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart. From a presentation standpoint, it was very much Annie Lennox, yeah. front and center. But so it's it's that they were kind of I think pretty much the original band I can think of, where you had like the particularly female front person who's like the face of the band, but then you've got the guy who is sort of the behind the scenes, writing most of the songs, doing most of the instrumentation, mm-hmm. who's kind of the doing the the grunt work behind the scenes. Uh, I know for Eleanor Friedberg, she went on to put out solo albums, and she had a, a great album that came out last year with this amazing song, Are We Good? And I've listened to it a hundred times in the last six months. And it feels like it's always interesting when you f- feel elements of a previous band within yeah. whatever they've moved yeah. on to, but then it sounds so totally different. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, this, this band in particular, like if you check out their first album, um, Gallows Bird Bark, it's just, it's just, stra- it's, it's like that 2002, 2003, strange, wonderful indie rock is kind of coming out of the shadows of whatever boy bands that dominated yeah. the early 2000s. And it's just one of those things where you just, it's not quite garagey, but it feels mm-hmm. 
different and homemade and yeah. it's very good. Do you think in the era of garage production, the idea of a band is something that is not always the most useful lens through which to examine like a musical group. Like it sounds like there, there are many of many ways to make music as an individual or with a few collaborators. But then when you go want to want to go perform it, you have to go grab whatever people who are willing to get in a van and go on the road with you or do this thing with you. And that becomes the band. And we all, we all go to see them. They, they, or maybe they're on the gig poster or something like that. But somebody, the guy who wrote the songs might say, no, I'm, this is me. This it's is like me. Prince that, that literally wrote and would play every play instrument. Play everything, right? yeah. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I guess... Oh, sure, here's the new power generation. Yeah, I guess they're a band. Or in the 60s, you would have like these bands like, I don't know, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Yeah. Where there would be a completely different touring band. Right. There was the band that toured, and then there was the band that Oh, is that true with Blood, Sweat, and Tears, too? I think it was, yeah. yeah. Like the um, Champs, like the, the Wrecking Crew would play the music. Yeah, and then, exactly. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, so you had that element happening back then. Um, about, about the Eurythmics, I, I, I think mm-hmm. you, you mentioned, you know, kind of when you hear elements of the work, but also how it develops when a person becomes a solo artist. I think that's definitely true with Annie Lennox. However, the Eurythmics were always fascinating to me because they, they were able to do so many different types of music. I mean, they started off as this like kind of classic synth pop sort of band. But as they progressed, you know, Annie Lennox became this, you know, really fiery kind of soul singer. She could do something like Missionary Man. It was very yeah. rock-oriented or, you know... Would you lie? Would I lie to you? Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then you look at her solo stuff, and it's very much kind of this, you know, melodic, piano-driven, Kate Bushy, Kate Bushy of, yeah, type yeah. of thing, which is completely different than what she was doing in the Eurythmics. Mm-hmm. So I, I find it interesting that it's like she had her own persona as a solo artist, and then multiple personas, yeah, as a member of the Eurythmics, and it really was sort of she was able to adapt to whatever Dave Stewart mm-hmm. was, wherever his head was at the time, yeah. I think. I thought I've read a couple books about Dave Stewart working with a lot of different f- pretty big musicians. It wasn't like ELO or, so, or somebody. Like the, he had a lot of different collaborators. It wasn't just Oh, yeah, he's, he's a major collaborator. Mm-hmm. He has a, a kind of a, a talk show, I saw. I was watching some clips of him with Ringo Starr, because I know he's done stuff with Ringo, mm-hmm. where they were not talking about Ringo again going yeah. through some of his fills and stuff. And he's, he's just one of those ultimate like sort of music industry insider-y types. Yeah. Uh, Tom Gibbous mentioned the, the Eurythmics and are a fan of the podcast and former guest of the podcast. I feel like he's part of the podcast. Ryan Love mentioned the White Stripes. So we're tracking. We're tracking. And uh, Anderson Dadu mentioned the other White Stripes, the Black Keys. That sounded like yeah, the exactly. <laughs> the ones are getting uh, 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 sp- spats with the white stripes because they're so similar. Okay, uh, what do you got, Michael? Are we halftime? Half mm-hmm. We're halftime. Okay, intermission. We're, one band, yeah. two of the bands have come on and on the stage. <laughs> we're just the crew's like, coming in. It's like a festival show. We've got like an yeah. hour yeah. break just to kind of reset everything. They're re- removing the drum set that's in the front, and there's a bigger drum set in the back that right. we didn't know was there. So this is our intermission, and we want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Mount Rushmore podcast, where we're deliberating the Mount Rushmore of musical duos. You know, we have discussed many topics regarding music in past episodes you could just uh, search through our past uh show our playlist on spotify on itunes on 
iHeartRadio. I think we're on YouTube. We're all over the place. And you're going to find all kinds of episodes that are about music. So if you like music and hearing uh, three white guys discuss it, then you'll love some of our past episodes. That is the internet. That's the internet. <laughs> the toll is the internet. And while you're doing it, we'd love to hear what you think in uh, the form of a rating. So you could give us as many stars as you'd like and then make a comment. We would really appreciate that. You could also go out and suggest another musical topic if that's your interest on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. We would love to know what you thought of this episode or a suggestion for a future episode. That would be super cool. And just to let you know, our episode next week is going to be the Mount Rushmore of Power Couples. Mm. Who knows? Maybe some of these musical duos will also be power couples. Probably not, though, right? I think it's just romantic power couples. Okay, so we are back. Well, I had AC and DC on Did on you? Mine, but I guess I'll have to cross that <laughs> off now. Uh, I love that band. If you if your last name isn't Young, you're not really in that band. You could be in that band for 20 years, but if your last name isn't Young, you are just hired help. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is your time to shine, Michael Winfield. Uh, my third choice on my Mount Rushmore is the band Outcast. Oh also, wow! Also on my list. Is it great? Yeah. Wow. With um, Big Boy and uh, Andre 3000, and what I find really interesting about these two as hip hop artists is that they are two very wildly different personalities and uh, rap styles within the same group. And somehow it just works, you know, um, big boy tends to be a little bit more traditional and uh, sings about eh. kind of your basic rap sort of. hip Yes. It's it's hard to say basic rap, but it it was a little bit more um, your traditional topics, traditional topics. And then, um, you know, Andre 3000 would be a little bit more eccentric, a little bit. Yeah. You know, he would kind of veered more towards funk and, Psychedelia. Uh, psychedelic and rock. And it's interesting how these two as a group for 10, 12 plus years, like played off each other and worked so well together. And then near the end of their career, they're like, well, we're just going to put out <laughs> almost two individual yeah. albums on the same thing and you just have to deal with it with right. speaker box slash the love below Yeah. It's basically the what was the Kiss album where they did like a four album <laughs> oh, thing yeah. where they each had their own own one. Their own That's thing. Basically, what they did with this, it's a, the Phantom of the Park. No, it wasn't. Okay. Um, yeah, but th- I mean, that's a great example of a duo that that maybe very possibly didn't even like each other too much by the end, but still managed to come together to create this incredible music. Um, and which kind of goes to show that in a musical duo partnership, you don't have to be best friends. You just have to have like a respect for the other person's music, and a bil- and an ability to take your sensibility and the other person's sensibility and fuse it together. Yeah, I know they had Mr. DJ, who was like kind of the unofficial third person, was their producer, who I think probably get, should get more credit than he does for kind of taking these two wild, like you said, wildly different types styles and types of people and turning it into something that you would can call like outcast. Hmm. 
Very compelling. Uh, I met Andre 3000 on a cruise ship. Oh. All 3,000 of them? Or All 3,000 of them. Uh, at the beginning of the cruise, there was one little kid, maybe his kid, walking around with him. By the end of the cruise, there was 4,000 kids just following after him like the Pied Piper. Nice. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Okay, uh, then it will be Richard. All right, so my last choice is uh, The Two Johns from They Might Be Giants. All right. Um, so this is, the, um, I think, the opposite. Of Outcast. Sure. With the two guys that sound exactly the same. That that look exactly alike. <laughs> that are the two whitest of the white guys you could possibly that imagine. So funny. I have a secret to tell from my electrical well. It's a simple message and I'm leaving out the whistles and bells. So the room must listen to me. Filibuster vigilantly. My name is Blue Canary. Um, and also, I, I think the fact that, I, and from all accounts, they still are like great friends. Yeah. They grew up together in Massachusetts, um, started out in different bands, and their individual bands didn't work out. So they decided, hey, why don't we try to do something together? And came up with the idea of Dial a Song, which is still a great idea. And I, I had I begged my parents to let me call Dial a Song when I was a kid so many times that they wouldn't do it because you got charged for it. And I don't know that they understood that it wasn't a phone sex oh. thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I don't need either of the Johns on a phone sex call. Um, but they're interesting. I mean, they're interesting from the standpoint that they're still friends 30 plus years later. And they seem to still have this great working and per- kind of personal relationship. Um, and also the fact that they've kind of transitioned from this like a guy with a guitar and an accordion. So now they have a full band along with a guy in the, with a guitar and an accordion. Yeah. So they've, they've, and they've had this, the same band now for, Christ, I don't know, 10, 15 years at this point. Um, and they just, what they've done is so, so eclectic. I mean, doing kids music, doing soundtracks and movie theme, TV themes, to even their own work has kind of gotten... Very, just varied over the years. They've gone from like kind of the jokey type of stuff to a little yeah. bit more serious as they've gotten older. I'm just a huge They Might Be Giants fan. I know, Michael, they're not your favorite band. Uh, I like them well enough. And I think people assume that you would like them more than you do. Do you know who's the band that people assume that I would just love? is the Mountain Goats, and I could not give a shit about the Mountain Goats. Yeah, you, I, you, I can't, I, I've seen people do this to you before. They're just like, you, you must, the Mountain Goats have a new album, and it's all about wrestling. I'm like, I don't give a shit about either. I, I don't like the band, and I don't give a shit about wrestling right now. And like, I, I just can't stand them. But for, like, for me, comedy and music are two things that can be together, but it has to be the right mix. Or like right. ir- irony and observation and stuff that that falls into some they might be giants songs right um go ahead i don't always like the rock to be that kind of uh culturally observant or whatever they are yeah you want to keep you want to keep your 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 rock separate it's not like a peanut butter and and chocolate chocolate um one one thing i would encourage you people to and i'll we'll put this up on the uh, show notes people Mm. Uh oh Uh -oh. whoa (laughs) That got weird. <laughs> so y'all, if y'all want to look this up, and I will post probably on our social media, I'll post this. There's a clip of, um, there's this British TV show called Jukebox Jury. It's been going on for like 50 years now. 
where basically they play clips from different songs and they have a panel of musicians and industry people who basically say whether they think it's a hit or a miss. Yeah. And they have a clip of an episode there that was one of the panelists is Nena Cherry. Oh, wow. Like right when Buffalo Stance was yeah. big. So she's like a big deal. Mm-hmm. And they play uh, Don't Let's Start, a clip of the video, and she just spends like two or three minutes ragging on yeah. They Might Be Giants and how this this kind of New York in college music, how much she hates it, and these guys are never going to be successful. Yeah. Which, of course, you look back, you know, 30 years later, it's like, who had the last laugh? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. With um, They Might Be Giants, like... It's hard. It's always been hard for me to shake that my first introduction to them was through Tiny Tunes. Okay. And they had two songs. They had uh, Istanbul, not Constantinople, and um, Particle Man that were right. like animated segments on. Yeah. Uh, Tiny, Tiny Tune Adventures. Yeah, Tiny Tune Adventures. The full title. I'm sorry. Please get that I'm right. I'm sorry that to all the the TTA heads <laughs> out there, that I just called it Tiny Tunes. I understand that it's completely different. But I've always been unable to, like, cut them off from, like, whenever I hear their music, I think of it... Kids' music. As kids' music. And although they went on to write, like, kids' albums, I can honestly say I've never heard anything past Flood or their kids' albums. Hmm. So my entire, like... Your, your whole knowledge of them is very limited based yeah. on this kind of world. Yeah. All right. Uh, Winfield, what's your final uh, My last choice is the band Daft Punk. Oh, wonderful! Good the very good um, choice. The French electro weirdos that dress up as robots and just put on these spectacular shows yeah. and have stayed within character for like twenty five years, yeah. which I think is amazing. At some point, they just decided we are these robot DJs, we are these robot musicians. No one's going to really see us without our helmets, even though. You can find pictures of them without their helmets. Yeah. I was just going to look up a photo of them playing, yeah. I think, ping pong yeah. <laughs> without their helmets. But th- they are, have just, they are these concept artists and like their music is all like this very strange robot rock. It's house, it's clubby, it's very dancey, it's electro. <laughs> couple of years it's funny to think that like their last album came out in what 2013 yeah and that was was it 2013 2013 and that was like their fourth album in like 20 something years mm-hmm. and that album itself is six years old yeah like, I, it's 2019 now I can't believe it still feels I think their music always sounds fresh even something mm-hmm. as old as like around the world it doesn't sound like the 90s. It doesn't sound like the 80s. It doesn't yeah. sound like any particular year, which I think is pretty interesting. But I think what their biggest accomplishment really is just their identification as a duo. Mm-hmm. No one would ever say, oh, it's Daft Punk and somebody else. It's those two guys that are performing at the top of their pyramid on these big rave yeah. things. Yeah, I do find it interesting that their last album that came out just a few years ago was so full of like collaboration with like 
Now like Rogers, Pharrell Williams, and like um, Paul uh, Giorgio Moroder, Paul Williams, Paul Williams, who right. is like the guy from the Muppet movie, yeah, like the big time nineteen seventies like yeah. uh, writer of like just first time he's ever been called big in his life. <laughs> <laughs> but like I don't know, I just I I find that they are very interesting just as a duo, and that these are their personas, and they're so unmistakable. And that they, you know, yeah. I, I think they're just, I, and I generally like their music too. The, the mini docs that came with that album did allude to their fandom and how vast it is for music from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And then within, and the theatricality of, of music as it is presented. They're wearing masks in, Paul Williams was in The Phantom of the Paradise, in which he sells the music of this other character that is his face is covered mm-hmm. in a mask and he wears this kind of leather outfit. So I can see them pulling that character. Their characters seem like a cross between THX 1138, George Lucas, <laughs> and some kind of dystopian sci-fi character. Yeah. And then this Phantom of the Paradise character. And then I remember Jojo Moroder saying that they interviewed him and they used three different microphones, one from the 70s, one from the 80s, and one from the 2000s because they wanted all three of those sounds so they could switch between them. Like, that's one thing I find... What a bunch of weirdos. Well, it does seem like, for me, pop stars and humility don't always go hand in hand. And these guys seem to be... Maybe they have a lot in common with they might be giants and that they don't see their role as to be swaggering Lotharios. They're... In fact, they would rather be anonymous and let the music do the talking and or not paint this picture as these guys who are these swarthy lovers, but they're interested in these topics that are about science or, or something silly like that. So I'm, not- I, I'm surprised. I'll go back. They might be giants real quick. If you watch music videos of them on YouTube and read the comments, how many women are like John Linnell? Oh my God. I had such a crush on him growing up. Oh wow. The accordion playing yeah. one of the two. Really? <laughs> y'all, y'all, y'all on social media on when we post this episode, Explain that to me, yeah, please. The they might the p- performance of "Get Lucky" at the Grammys with Pharrell and Stevie Wonder, and yeah, and Nile Rodgers on guitar. I watched that over and over and over again mm-hmm. because at the end, Daft Punk comes out in their like Empire versions, the all white versions of uh-huh. their <laughs> robot costumes, which is so awesome, like the Hoth. Ice Planet <laughs> version is the best. The best action figures. Yeah, the they best. Co- they come out, you have to pull them out of the Tauntaun guts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you pull it. Oh, it's so smelly. Okay, so this has been a super cool topic to discuss. I really appreciate it. It's really fun to analyze. It does ask, raise the question, like, how many people does it take to make a band to make music? And I realize not all these uh, artists were doing the, all the music themselves, but... Um, it's a, almost uh, enough to have two, two front persons. You know who, by the way, Michael, who I thought you were going to pick, knowing your wife, mm. was Steely Dan. Oh. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Fagan it's and probably Becker. one of those that uh, yeah. I didn't... It's probably my lack of knowledge of the band to realize that there's only two guys. Yeah, there was... I mean, I'm sure that there's more... Or that, that, the, that the two guys were the guys that drove it and then everyone else was superfluous. I, it's just my total lack of knowledge. Yeah, it was the, those two and then like Studio Skunk Schmose. Baxter and a bunch yeah. of other ses- session musicians yeah. and Michael McDonald doing background vocals for yeah. everything. 
No, anyway, I just know Emily's a big uh, Steely Dan fan. Yeah, yeah, she so. loves them. Kelly Granlin mentioned the White Stripes and what is the real story about Meg and Jack? So it's only been twenty years. Yeah, it's lots of intrigue. Tom Gibbous uh, brought up Jan and Dean, Everly Brothers, the Righteous Brothers. So nice sixties references. Brooks and Dunn, the Carpenters. Um, Simon and Garfunkel was probably obvi for a lot of people. Captain and Tennille, Bill Weingartner, want to thank you for suggesting that. And Sonny and Cher, Salt and Peppa, and the fake band, Millie Vanilli, it was one. It's interesting. The for whatever reason, it was the name and name. I just completely discontinued in my head. It was like, I don't know. I. I I almost didn't consider that's them a, a band. That's a it was duo. Just, they're not a band. Yeah. There's I, something about two people trying to like, almost like make themselves seem bigger than they are by attaching a band to the, their music the instead ampersand. of an ampersand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, the, for Pamela Palma Hazlett, Air Supply and Hall and Oates were contenders for her, but as a kid, she would confuse them because they both had a tall blonde guy and a short curly haired black dude. Did you ever confuse Air Supply and Holland Oats? I didn't. I didn't know that uh, Oats was black. I always thought he was Hispanic. Black haired. Black haired. Okay. I was gonna say. I mean, I don't see colors, but no. But I, I always assumed he was Hispanic. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, Maybe he's not. I don't know. Another, what do we think? What do we think, guys? Oats. Oats. Hispanic. Possibly Italian or just something else. Oh, Oats is the most Italian name you're ever gonna hear in your life. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Anderson Dadu also brought up um, Broken Bells, which is interesting because I feel like the Shins and the Broken Bells are really kind of... What's his head? What's his head? Um, that dude from the Shins is also in Broken Bells Mercer. with Danger Mouse. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. James Mercer. James yeah. Mercer. And then you'll hear every once in a while... You hear when there's a new Shins album, it's James Mercer plus whatever guys he wanted to bring in to do the album. Yeah. So, okay. Fun, fun. Thank you very much. Uh, it's now voting time. Hey, get your voting on. Uh, because I laugh, I love Daft Punk. We get a point for that, and I got to tell my little dumb story about Daft Punk. And uh, we'll just have points each for um, Outcast and the White Stripes because they were the obvious ones. And then Richard, I'm gonna go listen to They Might Be Giants. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You. You. Have I made? I made a, a compelling. Yeah. Oh, I will tell on. you the f- the first thing you should listen to. Tiny Tunes Adventures. Tiny Tunes <laughs> okay. Adventures. Apart from man. Go go on YouTube and look up when they did Birdhouse in Your Soul on the Tonight Show. Okay. With the full Doc Severinsen orchestra. Oh, that sounds it's great. It's fantastic. Okay, that sounds great. That must have been a huh? What are we doing day for Doc Severinsen <laughs> and the orchestra? <laughs> the band actually seems pretty excited really? by it. Yeah, <laughs> it's surprising. Okay, cool. This has been. Wait, hey, next week power duos, power, power, cu- power, power couples, power couples. Next week power couples. Uh, I like these back to backs. They're fun. I like when it, when um, double trouble with the double people. It seems like somehow connected and uh, but not really, but kind but of not really. But you know, if it's in your head and you're thinking like, oh, could any of these bands be power couples? No, no. Yeah, I don't think so. No. Okay, uh, this has been the Mount Rushmore of duo bands. I am always Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. <laughs>